Hello world, welcome to Hopecast. This is our podcast on spirituality, sexuality, wellness and queerness. This is Paul in London and I'm joined today by my fabulous co-hosts. Um, I'm Matthew and I'm based in London. And Nick, based here in London also. Uh, Oliver, based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Yasser, based in Lisbon. We almost had a full house. We almost had another one, but Yasser, not Yasser, you're here. I am here. It's because primacy and recency effect. I had you in my head. Um, Anders is moving into their very nice purchased apartment. So all the best with the move. Um, We're seeing it as an open house. We are all going to be with you in the next 24 hours and uh, we'll bring (laughs) wine. Um, So what's been making you hopeful? Well, in Atlanta, um, the temperature shifts up and down. So one week it'll be in the you know seventies, seventies Fahrenheit, and some weeks it'll be in the forties or the thirties. So I just enjoy that break because um, I have seasonal depression. So it's just easy for me to balance and to take time to be out in the nature. Because um, February, you're just hibernating like it's just too cold to do anything so i'm just hopeful um in that i can shift my mood and i can see the world a little bit better um so i'm just thankful and you know grateful for that Mm. send some this way it's freezing (laughs) here do you think is it an american thing that you like everything to be big what do you mean well like Like temperature you know it's like it's 100 degrees whereas i said i go oh my god that's like boiling point but that you know like your measurements are always like big and oh yeah american football it's like you win by three thousand points to 20 (laughs) you know it's all everything's like massive well i'll i'll just reserve that for texas i don't know if (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if all of you guys is like that or florida because they can get up into the hundreds sometimes but I don't know. I guess Atlanta is a little bit low key. We don't really boast about our temperatures all that much. <laughs> and our team doesn't win football. So there you go. But you'll always be Atlanta to me. Yes, with all the pussy has a hose. <laughs> <laughs> what else has been bringing people hope? A workshop or a training uh, last weekend, which is around trauma release practice, which I, I learned a few years ago, but I'm just getting back into it now. And um, it's around shaking and releasing the it's the idea is, you know, trauma gets stored in the in the tissue of our body. Uh, and it was a really lovely weekend. And so I'm quite hopeful that on a on a non conscious level on a non-verbal level this 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 gives another way of looking because i've been thinking about you know this thing about minority stress and complex ptsd which seems to be associated with minority stress you know when there's no single incident no single explosion or trauma um we we don't have a simple thing to go back to to work with and minority stress has all these little microaggressions all the times you felt awkward in the shower or were looked at in a funny way and and so this this way of shaking and just letting the body shake and release and quiver uh, in the way that an animal does when it's coming out of 
having been attacked or coming out of freezing when it's been attacked there's something lovely about feeling that i've got a resource that over time can just allow the nervous system of my body to to release so a couple of questions um where where do you stand on post-traumatic growth is number one i mean this is more like a general i'm not kind of quizzing you nick but just generally i'm wondering about that and then also i'm just thinking about is it a question i was just thinking i know that we were talking earlier about gyms and stuff i remember the first gym i joined in islington had open showers like just and it was like this tiny little kind of horseshoe shape and i remember being in there and being like oh my god naked then you know probably the first time i'd i'd been in that space since school not that I was with lots of naked men in school, um, but just that that feeling of that as a microaggression. I'd never thought of that, but I remember feeling massively uncomfortable, and yet incredibly happy. It was a real, yeah, complex, weird thing. Well, minority stress is complex, isn't it? Because it's it's those moments that just make us feel other, or. Um, not part of the accepted norm and, 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 and the moments of splitting or hiding. Um, and so it, it's, yeah, that's an interesting example because it's not necessarily that anyone was making a homophobic comment or no. you know, making you feel uncomfortable, but you just suddenly were in this really split space between feeling attraction and desire and sort of feeling anxiety. Mm. Yeah. Um. Well, maybe I'll, well, I can't try shaking now because that was 25 years ago, but maybe there's something about like holding that in mind. I like it. Thank you, Nick. Yes. Yes. I find it interesting that you all have open showers. Here, everything <laughs> is closed off. Oh, really? everything showers and our homes used to be very closed off like your living space was in one area kitchen was in one space i just find it interesting that um do you all find that like in europe everything's just a little bit more open i don't know because I, I, th I like the gym i go to now the showers are very closed off and you know there were well, the gym I used to go to used to have signs up saying people are being arrested for what you're doing in there. <laughs> uh, but anyway, they, do you know, it's funny, Oliver, because I always find like the, the public bathrooms, public toilets in America always feel like there's a massive gap in the door. I'm never able to have a comfortable poo in America. Yes, there's always ever. a crack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where you can sort of glimpse flesh. <laughs> if you really want, as you walk by. As you walk by, to. it's just like, oh, look. Yeah. I'd say I'd say continental Europe and certain countries within continental Europe are much more open than the UK. So I, I've got a friend who had a German boyfriend and when he went over for a for a holiday, it was the first time he was meeting the, the German family. And um, so my friend was in his 20s along same with his boyfriend. And um, and when they got there, his boyfriend said, oh, we're, we're all going to have a sauna tonight because, you know, a lot of German houses will have saunas. Uh, and my friend was just like, so, OK, we're having a sauna. And, and he was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. You don't need to wear anything. So, so, so your mum's going to be naked. It's like, yeah. And your 14 year old sister, she's 
in there as well and she's naked yeah of course and and it's just like that's just what you do and so like you know one time this and 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 my friend was just like but i can't just sit there with your mother naked in front of me (laughs) and 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 his german boyfriend's like oh god why do you have to be so uptight about it it's like you know this is this is just what we do as a family we're sort of have a have a sort i've done it since i was a boy and i'll be doing it when i'm 50 it's and he he took his mum for a to a sauna for a treat, and and again my friend was saying, so you, you just spent the afternoon with your mum naked in the sauna, chatting about life and stuff, and he said, yeah, you know, what do you do with your mum <laughs> to give her a treat? And then from the the English perspective, is sort of like uh, you know shutting down and closing down, and you know um, even in the even in the gyms, it's like all the guys will wrap themselves in a towel before they sort of walk to the to the showers whereas you see some people who are more more continental and and they just wander around naked through the through the shower room so there's this there is still this there's quite a sort of repressed aspect to to the sort of english uh sensibility it's definitely a marked difference the people who get the people who take their pants off under a towel and the people who don't i know which kind of people are mine Matthew, yeah, so what's making you hopeful? Um, I'm excited for Christmas, to be honest, and looking forward to spending some more time with my family. Um, I think as winter is definitely upon us, I just got absolutely drenched outside in this absolutely abysmal rain. I was looking out like, what am I hopeful for? Because this is not it. Um, No, I think, yeah, I think this change in season is always difficult for me. I'm the same as Oliver, I always have seasonal affective disorder and just generally feel quite down. So the weather's not really making me feel hopeful, but family time is on the horizon. And um, my brother and sister are both having kids next year. So I'm going to be an uncle twice, which is very exciting. That's oh, so yay. Yeah, first time. So Ella's going to be an auntie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be an uncle. That's going to be the auntie. <laughs> yeah, so that's why. which I'm... one they like more. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah that's what i'm hopeful for um yeah excited to be an uncle next year and um have our last christmas without any kids in the house it's gonna be interesting so you're spending christmas with family yeah i'm gonna go back for a week and how was that good it's gonna well i think yeah especially the last few years when we've just been able to be like connect as adults and um just kind of, especially last year, I think, with all of the pandemic and not being able to see each other for quite a lot of the year. It was just like we valued the time together so much more and we purposely didn't buy any presents. We all agreed to to do no presents because just like being together was was going to be like a gift enough. Um, and it was really lovely. We played loads of board games and watched films. And yeah, that's I'm looking forward to it. I need a break from London, I think. It's all been a bit hectic the last few months. Sounds gorgeous. So when you asked about hope, I was thinking that line from Emily, is it Emily Dickinson who wrote hope? Hope is a thing with feathers. I think it was. So right now, hope seems to be fluttering around there somewhere and maybe it will alight and surprise me. So it doesn't feel very present. It is present. It's just present in the space and in the air. Maybe sometimes it flutters around. I don't think it's, I don't think there's non-hopefulness or unhopefulness though as 
maybe there's just sort of a neutral space. Yeah, yeah. So I just had this image of like trying to catch a bird would be quite difficult, I'd imagine, unless it's a chicken. But I'm assuming hope doesn't look like a chicken. No, I think it's more like a dove or a white feathered thing. Always imagine it with white feathers. Like an angel. Well, you could go that far, I guess. But um, yeah, hope alights and hope is a thing with feathers sometimes. Flutters away and lands and takes flight. Mm. So I'm feeling poetic. Let's leave it at that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when you're poetic. What am I feeling hopeful for? I mean, not wanting to make it all about me, but it was my birthday a couple of days ago. Um, and not, you know, not looking for a chorus of happy birthday or anything. I mean, I wouldn't stop you, but <laughs> not going to ask for that. Um, but I, I feel really hopeful about turning 48. I feel really hopeful about this next couple of years on the path to 50. And just feeling a real sense of pride in myself, which is slightly uncomfortable. Um, but a sense of pride about really feeling happy with who I am right now. Mm. And not necessarily that that's forever, because I, I hope this isn't my final evolution. But a real sense of feeling like, actually, I am who I want to be right now. And that's taken a long time. Well, has it taken a long time? It's just taken time, I guess. There's no judgment about when it should have happened or could have happened, because it's happened. So yeah, there's a there's a thing for me at the moment about just really trying to feel that and savor it and yeah, not not ignore it or feel a sense of embarrassment or humility about it, but really just to to feel it and go, yeah, I really enjoy who I am right now. I think this podcast has been a huge part of that. Mm. And yeah, just grateful and happy and you know we had a really quiet day actually partly because of the weather because it was like fucking stormy out there um but yeah dan and i went out for breakfast had a really nice time and then we were going to go out for lunch we were going to go to a show in the evening and we just went i, I actually i kind of went i don't think i need to i don't think i want to i just want to be cozy and get takeaway and just snuggle on the sofa and just have a really kind of quiet time and that's really unusual because normally I'd think oh we should do something we should be going out we should be doing stuff so there was something really lovely about just going yeah this is this is good this is good enough I don't need other stuff so yeah I feel very hopeful about the, the coming year Well, happy birthday, Paul. It's Thank lovely. You. I remember turning 48. That was a good year. I think it was all feeling like things were coming and coalescing in a lovely way. And you still had two years to tweak things before you hit 50, you know, and get ready for that. So, yeah, I loved my late 40s and hitting 50. It's, so there's good, more good stuff to come. Mm. As they say, the best is yet to come. When's other people's birthdays? I mean, don't, you know, if you don't, yeah, to give you a like, full date of birth and mother's maiden name, but <laughs> just that's one thing we haven't really talked about is 
when were people born? Like, you know, star signs. I'm a Sagittarius. I was just last month, October 25th, in Scorpio. Oh. Yeah, I kept it quiet. So it was a low key sort of thing. Happy belated birthday. Mm, thank you. What does a Scorpio look like? When it doesn't have a sting on its tail? Yeah, what's the thing? Like, I, I've no idea. I don't even know what being a Sagittarius means, other than it's something to do with half man, half horse. Preach. <laughs> well, Scorpios do have that sting, and in one level they can be like that, and then on the other higher spiritual level, the Scorpio is often, um, I think, it's seen as a bird or an eagle flying high in the sky. So, astrologically, you know, it can rise and really sort of be in a different space than the scorpion with the sting. But that's, mm. yeah. I was talking with um, a friend this afternoon, actually, about star signs and astrology. I find it all fascinating. And I've, <clears throat> my, um, one of my close friends has got into astrology in this last year and has been dissecting our sun and moon and rising signs and the more i learn about it the more i'm just like this is wildly accurate really um, yeah mm. I, I i know some people are like super cynical about it and i was like until i started doing some research and i was like this is crazy this is literally me to a t um and i'm always posting like the the meme the pisces memes i was i'm um 9th of march um and like everything it says about Pisces, I'm just like, this is too accurate. And then, yeah, I'm, um, I started learning about the, the moon and rising things as well. And it's like how you're perceived by others and your emotions are ruled, your, your moon signs, your emotions and how you, people see you in the world is your rising sign. Yeah, I did, I did a lot more digging and it's very interesting. There's definitely something in it. I, I don't, um, I can't not believe that there's something because it's so accurate, it just doesn't. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't make sense for it to just be all whimsy and stuff. And I'm very like spiritually interested in that kind of thing anyway. So I buy it. What's up, science? Well, Dan is also a Pisces, so it'd be interesting to see if you're alike or different. What What were your qualities from what you found out? Um, sensitive, creative, living in a fantasy world. Yes, that's Dan. <laughs> Romanticizing everything, um, caring, kind, all the all the good things. <laughs> that's absolutely you. And what about the shadow of that? Um, it can can be very um, like escape reality by in this fantasy world. It's 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 the both sides. You've got that creative um, flair, but then get lost in that, and then just get lost in the escapism of everything. That's kind of what a Pisces does. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Nick Oliver, what's your sign, baby? I am a Gemini. Mm -hmm. um, June 6th is my birthday. Um, and I find it interesting that people think that we're two-faced. I don't think we're two-faced necessarily. I just think we, well, I won't speak for everybody else, but I am, <laughs> I can see the balance and everything. Um, and I'm not necessarily indecisive. I can just see both sides of the situation and can be a mediator in a lot of cases, I would say. Um, but yeah, mine is very accurate. My moon, my rising, all of that is very accurate. 
And what's funny is I also like numerology and I like Enneagram and all those different things. And they all, and even Myers-Briggs, I love all that stuff, but it all aligns to what I am. Um, if you dig, if you dig deep enough. Um, but yeah, I think it has to do with the work that I do with, with finding peace and everything. I think peace to me is just finding the delicate balance between your life, you know, um, balancing who you were and who you're becoming, um, where you were and where you're, where you want to go. I think there's always a balance in everything and, and choosing to find balance. And that is what I enjoy doing. I didn't realize that Gemini was seen as being two-faced. I suppose I've always, maybe it's, it's just the language of it. People have described it as like split personality, like being a bit changeable or unpredictable maybe. But I like how you frame it, Oliver, about, yeah, you're balanced and you can see different sides of things. Mm. I think um, there, I know for me, I had an affinity towards addictions too. Like I can like really go off on a deep end with something like going out to clubs. I was going almost, I mean, three, four times a week in my twenties sometimes. And then mm. finding the balance between that and, um, you know, enjoying it for what it is and making it a special moment instead of having to do it all the time. Um, and that could go into my drinking. I used to have a huge drinking problem and finding a balance with having, you know, just a sip here and there or enjoying the alcohol instead of, you know, binge drinking and all of that too. So I think um, there's a lot to that. And is that something that you recognized yourself and just dealt with or did you have help? Um, well, I made a lot of mistakes <laughs> with all of that. And I think um, having the experiences and, you know, finding my way through my mistakes and taking responsibility for some things really helped me to be who I am now, you know. Mm. That's amazing. Nick, how about you? What sign are you? So I was born on the 23rd of July, which makes me cusp Cancer Leo uh, in in Leo uh, with Aries as my rising sign. Mm, I'm so, <clears throat> ah, great. Oh, that's why we get on. So, yeah, there's a lot of my mum uh, actually used to teach astrology and, and work oh, out wow. charts. So I grew up reading books about astrology and all the different characteristics um so i do i do feel that cusp aspect of my nature and you know the crab is very much wanting to withdraw and keep people at bay and and, and feel safe and then leo is about jumping into action and taking on a position of leadership and it's a lot of fire um and aries also is about uh, sort of taking action or leading or um, creating creating projects but not necessarily seeing them through so it's a sort of it's a very creative energy but it's sort of like okay i've done that now i've started it as sort of like what what next um uh so yeah i i i agree with matthew i i find there's whether you feel that the stars actually do say anything or whether you take it as a poetic thing that you read and you resonate with with what these different signs are saying and i definitely so sort of I, I i feel a connection with that 
So, I mean, you've because there were three things there. There was what was it Cancer, Leo, Aries. What's your predominant one? Like, what would just be your typical birthday one? Well, I mean, my sun sign is Leo, so you know the strongest is. sign oh. is is Leo. Lion. The lion. My dad's a Leo. But the thing, the thing with astrology is you have to <laughs> Sorry, take into account. Weird. You have to take into account the whole chart. So, like a friend of mine worked it out once, and he said, "Oh, all of your planets, or most of your planets, are under the horizon. Uh, so there's a horizon line on the chart, and either your planets are above or below. Mine are all below mainly. Uh, so he's saying, you know, all of the people he'd worked out their charts who were really meditators." You know, they tended to have planets under the horizon and the people in the same Buddhist group who tended to be more about, you know, it's not about meditation, it's about being in action and going out and doing things in the world and um, all of that. They all had planets above the horizon. So mm. you might have one Leo, but they could have very different personalities because of where the different combinations of planets. Mm. You've just reminded me, I've got this... Um book from Pam Gregory called You Don't Really Believe in Astrology, Do You? And it's been sitting next to my bed so hard. My camera's blurred. It's been sitting next to my bedside table for ages and I've been meaning to read it. But... What's yeah. the premise of it? Um, I think it's just like trying to debunk or just like discuss all of the things you think that someone who doesn't know what astrology is, like explaining it in layman's terms, maybe. Mm. Mm. You know, in India, astrology is, well, it's an ancient science. And when when people are born, the very first thing they do is they drop the birth chart for their infant right away. Mm. And then everything is determined according to that, even what day you get married or open a business, literally. Wow. You go and see the astrologer. It's usually a he tells you, no, this is the auspicious day. and And people follow it. So it's not, it's perfectly normal. Mostly in Hindu culture, it's more of a thing, but our family, friends, and yeah, as soon as the kids are born, birth chart, first thing. So I it's, that. it's very normal, considered mm. very normal. And to then make decisions based on that. Hmm. I, I mean, all of the, I, I have to say, I've never really taken it seriously. Just talking about it now with you, hearing all of your perspectives, makes me massively curious about it because I suppose I just thought of it as the kind of thing you just read in the daily newspaper and it's just a load of old shit and because I always thought well you can read one newspaper and another and another and it will tell you three different things for the same day but I guess that kind of populist astrology is just nonsense whereas there's something in it when actually you really look into it I mean I've just looked at what are the traits of a Sagittarius Sagittarius values independence and the ability to do what they want and what they want above all else. True. <laughs> but of course I would say that. Um, Sagittarians are known for their emotional intelligence, which helps them connect to others. True. Um, we're adventurers, risk takers and have sharp business and sports mentality. Untrue for me. Um, I just messaged Anders and said, what star sign are you? And he's an Aries. And he said, the descriptions never fit me because I'm an enigma. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but interesting that we've got six different star signs. Yeah, so you could get your chart done, Paul, and for it to be more accurate or to you is you'd have to give your 
time and place of birth and it would be based on that and so how i mean <laughs> suddenly we've become an astrology podcast. <laughs> how does it work like what what is it how what the position of the stars influencing your life is that all it is i don't get it. i don't understand it someone explain it to well me. it's planetary influence as well right not just stars yeah yeah it's, yeah there's um yeah based on like the exact position where you were born at the time where all the stars and planets were aligned at that moment affects then means things. what that is what but so how when so apparently each planet so i think like oh i mean i can't remember off the top of my head like jupiter rules certain elements of your life and mars and all the different planets have a different meaning whether it's like work or career or relationships and dependent where they are in your house there's different houses um it, it'll mean different things i i mean i'm not the expert so i won't pretend to be depending which planets are based within your your chart and which are having an influence on you each planet has its own characteristic or um resonance and 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 if that if that planet is in a particularly powerful place in your chart so obviously the sun sign the the the, the birth sign that you are that's that's the most powerful but then also the ascendant is powerful as well because that's sort of your outer manifestation or what people see um but you know they they could then be contradicted by other planets within so so it creates this whole network of influences um yeah. so well the thing where i mean what the, the one thing that applies to everyone is there's this thing called saturn return which happens when you're around 27 um and certainly for me it was really significant and and a lot of people when they're around 27 28 it's like saturn takes that 28 years or 27 years to travel and come back to the point where it was when you were born and and it's often a time of transition for people or steps moving in to a new phase of their life so old things fall away at that point and and new things happen um and and it can also be a very traumatic time i mean that you see plenty of people like amy winehouse and others who don't actually get through their their saturn return period and and for me that that's when i went i went to the monastery when i was 27 and i was going through this whole mental breakdown and emotional collapse so and then when someone said to me it's like oh well it's not really a surprise you know <laughs> sort of like, um and and i've i've spoken to other people and maybe it's just a life pattern that when we're around 27 28 we're maturing and coming into a different phase of our life but a lot of people do seem to have a period around that time when then they feel their life is really changing or shifting into a new phase i met dan when i was 27 that's when we got together yeah. oh, there you go. what happened when you were 27 I think it's about when I came out to my parents, actually. 26, 27, yeah, which was traumatic, but um, kind of entering then that whole different period of my life, being open and honest about what was going on. Um, 
and shifting that relationship considerably because then I was sort of standing in my own power and my own two feet and individuating away from the family and their expectations. So yeah, so it was right around then. Wow. Matt, what happened when you were 27? What was that last week? <laughs> you know, it's coming. <laughs> no, it's a couple of years ago. I think that's when I started getting into um, spirituality and um, meditation. Really? And yeah, I think it was around that age when I did um, my Vipassana. And that was kind of the beginning of, of finding this like kind of spiritual path and, and seeing what's the world. A, what's a Vipassana? Yeah, the silent meditation retreat. The 10 day? Mm-hmm. Oh, good for you. I did that uh, about three years ago. Finally, put it off for many years. Yeah, oh, I think that. You. I think that was um, that was kind of the first stepping stone on on this kind of different path and just finding different ways of seeing the world. Um, and that was around that age, funnily. So I think that's that's the the change that happened for me. What were the events that got you there? Um, funnily, so one of my very close friends who I was living with um, probably about 10 years ago now had gone and done this. I don't know where I first heard about Vipassana. I have absolutely no recollection, but she went and did one um, like the next year and she came back and was like raving about it. And I was like, I need to go and do this. And then another two years went by and I moved into a flat a new flat share and I didn't know anyone in it and then met this girl who's one of my best friends now and she'd also done one and I was like this is this is uh this is something that's calling um and I just finished doing a panto and I'd booked I'd booked because you have to book like weeks in advance or months in advance to to get on it and they're even more um difficult to get on now I think everyone's kind of <laughs> seeing the um, opportunity to have this kind of reset and and find some meaning um anyway i booked it and it started a couple of days after i finished this pantomime um and yeah just it was i think one of the most mentally challenging things i've ever done but the most rewarding and in hindsight i think that's the thing that changed the the path for the next couple of years for me and kind of just opened my mind to possibilities that I had never fathomed. Um, yeah, I'd recommend. I've, I've just I've just applied actually to go for one in January or February. So hopefully, <clears throat> we'll be doing another one very soon. <laughs> in what ways was it mentally challenging? You are just with your thoughts for ten days, and there's no distraction. Um, so everything you've been trying to run away from, it just is there. Um, you and your thoughts, nothing else. Um, Did you have your phone with you? No. You, they so you, take everything from you. All of your belongings, what? all of your electronics, your books, your paper. Your... <gasps> Look at me feeling all protective. Oh my God. Yeah, it's nothing. And silence. <clears throat> no talking. It's, it's, um, it's hard. It's challenging, but it was, it was really so worth it. I was kind of almost sold. I was already thinking, oh, that'd be quite nice, you know, just 10 days to myself, but not if there's nothing. <laughs> well, you're meditating every day for well, eight, nine terrifying. hours, and you're listening to an evening lecture, and then you're in silence. Mm -hmm. It is terrifying in a level. Oh, it's a lot of meditating, and you're just there with your thoughts, meditating. 
Honestly, my stomach is churning at the thought of it. Oh my God. How was it for you, Yasser? It was challenging. I think the sitting was hard because then you begin to feel your body and bones when you're older. But just, and, um, you know, you just see how crazy you really are because your mind just spins <laughs> off. I don't know if I may have talked this, but um, you're in separate gender separated dormitories. I think this came from the podcast. And so I was with the guys, obviously, to avoid distract, being distracted by women who are on the other side of the room. But here you are with 30 men, you're sharing a room. Oh, no, it's so hard for us. Not at all. And I had a really very hunky roommate. <laughs> and you're not talking and communicating, but um, so I spent 10 days in silence and we'd figure out which of the men I would date and marry. And I came up with an order. <laughs> And as things went on and they did things that I took as perceived slights in silence, they dropped down the pecking order. And so I said, okay, you're now at number four and such and such is moving up to three because you took two, two oranges at tea time and didn't leave enough for everyone else. Cause after six o'clock you didn't eat. So I was like, you greedy little bug. You know, so your mind just goes crazy and you're not talking to them. So you can fantasize and imagine what you want about them. And so then I had my number one down. Um, and then when we all started talking at the end, he turned out to be straight, and I was so disappointed. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> but that's what your mind does. Him? You just figure things out. And there was one fellow, and I had created these whole stories around him, and that he would this. And then we talked, and he was one of the nicest people, and I invented everything. So you just see how crazy your mind really is. And the silence, um, once after nine days, you can talk again. And I sort of escaped because everyone was chatting and the women were talking and it was loud. I couldn't deal with it. It was almost, I just had to stay in silence long and I just hung out, skulked away into the woods because I just couldn't bear it. It almost seemed like someone had turned the volume up really loudly. Mm. It was very strange. And then it normalized. But those first five minutes or first few hours was very hard for me to start talking again. I re I remember that um, that morning when you're allowed to talk again, and I the, the when you first have the orientation in the first few hours you're there, you can talk with people, and then it goes into the silence at like nine p.m. or something. But the person who I'd spoken to on the first day, I just like turned to him as we were coming out of the the meditation hall on the, that last day and was like, so can we talk now? And it, like hearing my voice again, I was in hysteric, like absolute hysterics laughing. I just, it was such a weird feeling again to talk. And I was just a bit delirious, I think. By, by that point, just having not communicated with anyone for, had barely looked people in the eye for like 10 days. It was, it's a very bizarre feeling and everything is so heightened. Um, in relation to like sounds, the lights hitting the trees and it was it was winter when I did it. So there was frost on the ground and everything just was like magnified. It felt like a, a, a drug um, experience for me, like comparing wise, everything was amplified. Um, and I, I, I don't think I've ever felt that switched on. My brain was just so aware of everything and obviously completely sober there's no alcohol or anything else there it was just my mind felt expansive um which is why i want to go back and do it because it was incredible 
<clears throat> still, as you talk about it, it still feels really alive, mm. like, really like clear and that, that morning for you. That morning, uh, so the last day you can talk, and then the next morning is when you go home, which is like six a.m. or something. I remember getting in the car. It was a really frosty morning, and the sun was rising, um, and it was hitting all of the the frost and stuff on the ground, and just creating this like. Um, iridescent like glow everywhere and I was driving home and I was like I'm gonna crash this is like I was just in <laughs> awe of like all the colors and stuff and I was like oh my god the world is so beautiful and like <laughs> alive and it, it, it honestly felt like a drug experience coming away from it um it was yeah it felt magic coming out it's, it is just your brain getting into that awareness and consciousness because you're just there and like after the first few days when your thoughts slow down and you're, you're not just like chatting at yourself, you can just get into that Zen space. Um, but I, I was really lucky after I, I got home safe and sound, you'll be pleased to. <laughs> I didn't crash, but the roads were really icy. I, at the time I didn't even like think. Um, I got home and luckily had a few days in, in my family home before I went, before I came back to London. I think if I'd have come and got like straight off the bus into busting, I would have like had a breakdown. I would have just like, I had a bit of easing in, went out in town in, in my hometown and just walked in the countryside. But it is, it is, um, it's a lot. And I, it's, I think it's why I can really relate now, things opening back up a couple of months ago when I was feeling a bit overwhelmed. It was that kind of feeling of just like, oh my God, there is so much chaos and noise and, overwhelming stimulation of color sound smell um you just notice everything um coming coming back which is why recently it really that's the the sensation that happened when i came back from that experience god it sounds really powerful mm. yeah, yeah, there's something about taking that time to to go away and 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 have some solitude. And um, I found it. I used to go to a retreat centre in Wales, and we would have silent retreats there. Um, and this was when I was at university, and I'd I'd go two or three times a year and just have this time away. And and I'd arrive in this little town uh, on my way to the retreat centre, and it'd be like, oh, isn't this quaint? It's so quiet and you know, um, compared to Hull where I, where I, where I was studying and, um, and then I'd leave the retreat about, I think they were more like seven or eight day retreats and, and then, but we'd have been in silence and then I'd leave the retreat and suddenly it's like, oh, this bustling metropolis that I'm coming back into, <laughs> you know, the same little town. It's, it did, it's like Matthew saying, it was almost like the, everything was heightened and suddenly the noise of all the vehicles and people moving around and walking but but it also it does it does remind me that um i can take my senses for granted so when i was on a 10-day vipassana a few years ago it was it was over christmas i wanted to just not observe christmas so i went away for a christmas retreat and or to do something for myself, you know, that I could go away and at a time when I wasn't teaching the Monday class and I could actually go away for a couple of weeks. And and there was one day I was just standing outside and there was a robin singing in, in the uh, bush uh, with a tree next to me. And I was just like, oh, this sound was just heavenly, just listening to this 
joyous song and then an, another day there were these birds flying in formation in the in the in the sky and i was watching and it's the first time i'd ever really noticed how they're constantly changing their position in in the flock and the way the ones at the front are then swooping to the back and the ones at the back are, and and they're doing all of this without colliding um and for about 15 minutes i was just watching as they were just swooping around in the sky and creating this fantastic pattern and it's a reminder that you know yes in a way our modern life gives us a lot but but maybe there's this element that we've got like t.s Eliot said you know we're distracted from distraction by distraction <laughs> and there's so much distraction now that you know I wonder if people in the past actually had more of that sort of natural sense of enjoyment and wonder and, you know, just something as simple as looking at the birds flying in the sky, giving you joy, whereas now we're too busy catching up on our Instagram post or mm. seeing what someone's just sent as a WhatsApp meme to, to even notice that there are any birds flying. <laughs> and is it, are you allowed to wank on a Vipassana? No. No. How do they know? How do they police it? And why not? Oh, Did they? I don't remember that rule, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, you are supposed to abstain from any um, sexual. sexual. I can't remember the word they use. Is yeah, it's it's not it's not supposed to happen, but no one's checking. <laughs> mm, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> like I was like, okay, I I'm can be silent for ten days. But... <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I can do the silence. That's cool, but that's a whole other. <laughs> <laughs> I think you take the ten precepts. So well, one of which is is brahmacharya, which is interestingly. I mean, because it's like celibacy sounds a bit like you know, dour, but brahmacharya means uh, Brahma to to live like God. Um, I'm not sure what the charya bit is. Whether but but Brahma is Brahma is the the king of the gods. So brahmacharya means to to live like a god. Or to bring your energy to the, the the to bring your consciousness to the level of of a god. Well, well, how do we know god, god doesn't wink? Well, exactly. Greek gods were all shagging <laughs> oh. each other. They were all dressed as swans and doing all that kinds of stuff. <laughs> well, it's from it's from a more tantric perspective where where the sexual energy is 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 a is a life force, and so. You know, like with the Tantra practice I do, like my Tantra teacher is incredibly sex positive and he's saying, yeah, you know, do what you like, go and have sex if you want. But he's also encourages me not to uh, have a, 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 a an external orgasm or not to come um, for around every once every three weeks to, you know, just clean out the pipes. Um, but you know, as much self-pleasuring as I do, he, he's sort of then encouraging to maintain the energy. And the idea is that with the, se the semen, it just the energy comes out and it's gone. Whereas if we if we connect, if I connect with that energy, and then through these different tantra practices, draw it into my body, um, then actually there's that sense of, of, of sort of vibrance and and vitality that that, that gives, rather than the sort of post post-orgasmic sort of crash um, uh, so it's actually about embracing the pleasure and embracing 
the enjoyment and, and, and almost feeling this tingling. So I haven't experienced it yet, but Grant, the Tantra teacher, he talks about having an orgasm of the heart and like a whole body orgasm. So rather than it being a genital orgasm, it's actually you can start to feel this quivering uh, energetic uh, aliveness through your whole body. And that can go on. I've read people who've said, you know, they've been orgasming for five minutes, um, you know, because it's just these waves of, of pleasure are going through their body um, once, once you can connect with that. So I have so many questions. Let's get Grant on the podcast as well. Um, but I was thinking, but if you don't come like for three weeks, doesn't your body just become a little sperm graveyard? Aren't you just like a walking coffin <clears> of dead sperm? Because surely they must need to be, I don't know, how does it work? I don't know nothing about my body and how it works, but surely, well, I don't know, do they, make, do they make them to demand? Or yeah, do I mean, they just like queue up and die? They queue up. I mean, it won't produce more if the semen is there and there's plenty. The body's not going to produce it to bursting point. It's it's just going to dissolve it. Or isn't know. this why people have wet dreams, though? Sorry, isn't this why people have wet dreams? <clears throat> Could be, but the body knows what to do. It's not just going to keep building up the sperm reserve until you explode. Um, so some would like that, I'm sure. <laughs> Death by exploding. But it's sperm. interesting, you know, there was just speaking to that, there was on Reddit, there was a thread, especially with younger men. It was called No Fap, and No Fap meant no masturbation. And um, a lot of younger guys, mostly straight who were and gay who were using porn, latched onto this idea. And so the idea was you wouldn't do it for 30 days. And so I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And there certainly was an increase in energy. And I mean, you could stimulate and get to that point, but you wouldn't orgasm. And I really noticed more of a vibrancy and aliveness by not doing it for 30 days as a challenge. That said, as a public service announcement, um, especially as you get older, research is now showing that for men to masturbate almost every day actually in improves prostate health and reduces the risk of prostate cancer. So when you're younger, not so much, but when you start hitting 35, 40, not releasing actually increases prostate cancer risk. And now there's enough studies you can look it up. So well, I sort of appreciate everything Nick was saying. And I was also have been doing practices around that. But then part of me realizes that for health and prostate health, it actually is important not to go, not to hold it in and actually to masturbate. So there's sort of now you know, this sort of modern knowledge, how do you... And back then, maybe people died of something else long before prostate cancer took them. So how do you balance that out? But that is that is what the science and medicine is saying now. It's healthier to actually release. There and might be that... a difference. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're doing tantra practices, you're doing quite a lot of pelvic floor work as well. So it would be interesting mm. to see if there's something around that process of contracting the pelvic floor, the Kegels, and, you know, mm -hmm. sort of almost internally massaging the prostate, which would be different to someone yeah. just not wanking. Um, you'd need a control study yeah. to sort of see, you know, what happens with someone doing those types of practices, or, you know, even if you're mm. having anal sex or something, it's like, you know, your prostate's getting a good old massage there. So and maybe that's it, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I like that. I, I wish they would do a study and look at men who maybe have these other practices going on and whether that's a, a factor. I love how we've morphed from an astrology podcast to yeah. a science podcast. Well, you wanted to talk about pleasure. So that's amazing. I love it. I'm already thinking about... I, there was something that I did see. Was it No Nut November? Was that the Reddit thing? Where yeah. They had a month off. We could do like double dick December. Um, <laughs> <laughs> love it. Oliver, I'm still curious about your 27-year-old experience. We got on, I mean, talk about a diversion. That was, that was Saturn's return, and then I don't know the, the journey to Uranus. So, Oliver, what was what was going on for you when you were 27? Well, it's so funny because I, I love numerology, and in numerology, there are nine, there are nine years in a like a life cycle stage. So every nine years the cycle regenerates. So at age nine, that means age nine, 18, 27, uh, 36 and 47, is that right? 45. 36, wait, 27, yeah, 36. And then 45, I think, yeah. is that right? So there are, you mentioned that at 48, you experience, you know, you feel comfortable and like maybe those three years prior to that was getting you prepared for your 48 year. Yeah. And even even at my 27 year, I was also going through a spiritual experience. Um, that's when I started to, um, you know, not drink as much and to be um, mindful of how many times I went out to the club. And also in that same vein, I was shedding my evangelical roots. So I know from 18 to 26 ish um i was just feeding myself ways to um arm myself with like different bible verses that might clobber you know homosexuality and things so i was just arming myself with all of that so if i had a conversation i could prepare myself and be like armed with that and then at 27 i was like you know what it really doesn't matter i'm not going to change my mind anyway and it's not making me any happier so it was at that point where I was, you know, comfortable with myself a little bit more and not having to prove to anyone um, that I'm greater than what they what they say that I am. I, my greatness comes from myself and I define that and not anyone else. So it was I think it was around that time where um, that started to solidify for me. And there are a lot of other things going on in my relationships and stuff like that and how I viewed relationships and what I really wanted and where I wanted to be. That was around the time where I moved from Florida to Atlanta. That's Atlanta is where I, my heart was. So there are a lot of things going on during that time. And it was just a moment of like, OK, well, I guess I'm an adult now, so I have to do adult things. So, you know, paying my bills on time, that kind of all happened then. I, I, was, I was living my true Gemini in my 20s. So I was like, okay, now I have to come into balance. So um, really 27 was just the time for me to get my shit together in all areas of my life. I love it. I mean, that's massive things. That's huge in terms of, you know, a big kind of philosophical shift spiritually and Sounds like a real sense of, I don't know, acknowledging being a grown-up. Yeah, definitely. Because who wants to adult, right? Oh, 
So I'd love to talk about that on another podcast <laughs> because I the, I mentioned this. I was on my friend Marissa's podcast, right? Marissa, I love dearly. She's got this podcast called The Self Sessions. And I can't remember the question she asked me, but there was the, my answer. It was something like what annoys you. And there's a, a particular chain of card shops in the UK and they all have these little billboards outside that say, don't grow up, it's a trap. And it makes me so angry because I think it's not a trap growing up. It's what we should do. Mm. And I I just have this real reaction to infantilizing ourselves, especially when it's in the cause of going into the shop and buying their sparkly crap, <laughs> which I do now and again. Um, but that sense of like, oh, I don't want to be grown up. I want to stay like a child. Or I just I have a real reaction to that. So I want to save that for another time, because I think you'll probably say, examine that. <laughs> well, I think that's like around 27, it's like you're forced to be grow up. That's like the time where it's like, okay, you have to make decisions. And the universal cause, like causes you to, or causes things to shift in your life to make those decisions during that time. So you can't, there's a point where you have to, you know, drop that you know and actually be an adult i guess my pushback i mean i love i love that uh, quote that you hate paul whatever this card shop did but i think what we lose is maybe wonder sense of play sense of being silly i can't do that I, that's too silly that's what kids do so i think that part of being a child that openness and curiosity is just i think marvelous too yeah. Don't, don't think I ever had it. And I think that's the issue. Wow. I don't remember being that carefree, you know, oh, I'm such fun. You know, I was always really boring and just, I don't know. Yeah. But I think we saved that one because that's a good topic. Okay. Yeah. I love that. I feel like we've now got the first, like we've got all of January planned. We're going to do a deep dive into astrology. We're going to do a bit of like pelvic floor <laughs> exercises. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do a bit about growing up but for now as we're coming to an hour would one of you beautiful people like to lead us into a couple of minutes of meditation take us to the moon so you're closing your eyes bringing your attention inside and feeling the weight of your body Grounding yourself by taking a, a moment to feel that contact of your feet with the floor, the heaviness of your legs. And then feeling the breath moving in the chest and the abdomen. Noticing if you're only breathing into your upper chest and then softening around the, the belly, allowing the breath to come all the way down into the belly, filling the belly and then the chest opening and lifting as the lungs fill.
emptying. As you feel the breath flowing in and out, seeing what it's like to slow down for a few minutes, to stop any of the busyness. Maybe you'll notice the busyness in the mind, the radio me may be chatting away doing its thing, but that's okay, just letting that be there. And taking a few moments to really just be here in your body. Noticing where you feel any pleasure in your body as you breathe. Noticing if your body feels distant or numb. Maybe you, in these few minutes, you simply tune in to noticing, well, I seem to be like a, an intelligence floating above my body. And there's learning in observing that. Or you may connect down into your body and really feel a sense of pleasure as the breath fills and opens and lifts and moves the belly and the chest. Noticing how quickly your attention can get pulled away again then gently returning to that feeling of the breath, of the weight of your body, the heaviness of your legs, and the contact of your feet with the floor. Breath flowing in and flowing out. last few moments of the practice simply embracing however you are right now so you don't have to be a particular way you don't have to be calm you don't have to be peaceful or joyful although you might be maybe you notice you're embracing something else and so taking a few breaths simply being with yourself as you are in this moment and embracing yourself however you are showing up in this moment breathing into it. bringing this practice to a close but as you move into whatever your next activity is seeing if you can bring something of this sense of being present grounded alive to the felt sense in your body as you move into your next activity 
coming back to the contact of your feet with the floor, bringing some movement into the fingers and toes, taking a deep breath in, and as you breathe out, slowly opening your eyes. Thank you, Nick. Pleasure. Really lovely. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of another Hopecast. Thank you so much for listening. We're so grateful to everyone who takes the time to listen. Uh, if you want to leave us a message anywhere, you can do that through all of our socials at Hopecast Podcast. You can send us an email if you would like us to think about a response to an issue or a problem through the lens of the Buddha's wisdom. You can email us at wwbd at hopecastpodcast.com. If you like what we do, hopefully you do, then leave us a rating, five stars please, anything less is homophobic. And we'll be back again soon with another Hopecast.